Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, a podcast where a noob and an expert bold to go through Star Trek episode by episode. My name is Kev Kozer, and I'm here with my co-host, J.G. McQuarrie. Say hi, J.G. Hey there, Kev. How are you doing this week? Well, I shouldn't have followed that black cat, because now these witches ghosts are screaming at me, and I'm trapped in a dungeon. It's all gone downhill. Ah, well, what you do in your spare time is none of my concern. Uh, but yes, we are back to... Well, you know, it would have been really handy if we'd been able to time this episode for Halloween, but we've massively failed to do that. But just let's gloss over that and admit that we have to cover Catspot this week. And, well, of course, we're not doing it alone, so welcome back to the podcast, Sarah. Thanks. Happy to be here. It's lovely to have you back. Now, um, we know what your history of Star Trek is because we had you on before. So I think we can probably just dive straight in. And um, yeah, Kev, would you like to give us a summary? Of course. Cat's Paw begins with Kirk trying to get an update on a landing party consisting of Sulu, Scotty, and Crewman Jackson. Crewman Jackson, a brand new character we've never seen before, who's wearing a red shirt, and oh no, he's dead. <laughs> uh, and going to investigate our other two regular characters, uh, Kirk, McCoy, and Spock, uh, wind up on a haunted house planet. Uh, which ghosts tell them to stay away? A black cat leads them to a dungeon, and there's two mysterious figures in elaborate robes who can do anything they want with their magic science transmuter thing we'll get more into that in as much as it matters but basically they give our humans the runaround until kirk manages to trick the female one and win the sympathies of the male one grab the scepter that they control everything with break it destroy the illusions that they are creating and be on their merry way Lovely. Thank you very much. So yes, this is very much Star Trek doing a Halloween episode. Um, and if you think it leans more towards Scooby-Doo than, than the horror movie <laughs> Halloween, then you know that wouldn't necessarily be an unfair description. But uh, yeah, let's get some general thoughts out of the way. So Sarah, you're our guest. So um, how did you find this episode? I, I really liked the whole framing of it. And I thought the plot made not very much sense, such as it was. <laughs> Um, but I didn't really care because I I enjoy I enjoy all the Star Trek episodes where while I'm watching it I keep thinking to myself how are they going to explain that this is science in the end and this feels like the best version of that of like it's it's all witches and black cats and you know that at some point they have to be able to say to themselves like ah yes it was it was the planets lava vibrations that caused us to think that we were mm -hmm. seeing spells happen and um this one barely did that at all and i liked that a lot it reminds me a lot of the apple which we recently covered um i think it's a better episode than the apple but it's it's the same sort of idea where it's like there's some science here but it's mostly just kind of going off of vibes mm -hmm. it's very much just like evoking a mood and a weird setting and weird ideas more than it is a coherent story. But I don't know, I kind of like it a lot. It's it's very different from a typical Star Trek episode in a way I really dig. I mean, not to beat this hobby horse again, but in a way that you could only get by doing over 20 episodes of a TV show in a year where it's like, you got to vary it up somehow. And doing the sort of haunted house. Uh, I mean, Scooby-Doo is a great <laughs> description of it. But also like like uh, not hammer horror, but like the kind of movies that the kind of movie that Vincent Price would do. 
mm-hmm. is kind of what it's also evoking here. I mean, same time period as those. I guess Corman is the person who's sort of whose horror movies are sort of the closest to what this is. Um, yeah, it's just a very ridiculously can't be a good time. I had a great time watching this one. I'm glad you both really enjoyed it because I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I I find it kind of hard going and labored. Like there, it, there's definitely a few moments in it where it works, and like, I do agree with you, Kev. It's nice to have an episode where we have something a little bit different. It's a change of pace. It's a change of scenery. It's it's not another computer or anything like that, you know. So that's all nice. Um, I find it really sludgy. It's a really shapeless kind of episode. And so much of the episode is something happens on the planet. And then up on the Enterprise, they just tell us what we've watched happening on the planet. Um, Oh, no, the Enterprise has been surrounded by an invisible force field back up on the ship. Hey, we've been surrounded by an invisible force field. Oh, no. And this, God, it takes so long to get anywhere. It's, it's, I don't know. I I wanted to be liking it, but um, I just couldn't find it. In me, I think it's one of those episodes you, you kind of have to be in the right frame of mind for it. I've been grumpy all week because I've had the flu and I wasn't in the right frame <laughs> of mind for it. And I just, I just, I watched it. And I just thought, oh, I don't care about this. The, I really enjoyed, I think the scene where they're uh, being voodoo dolled, but the whole ship with the ship Christmas ornament is, uh, <laughs> I liked so much because of the visuals. I think that I didn't really mind especially that part where they kept cutting back and everyone on the ship would say like, yes, it is in fact happening the way that you're expecting it to. Um, I think just because aside from it inviting a lot of questions about how much they know about earth magic and uh, why it would look exactly the same to these people. I just, I feel like they were having a lot of fun in a way that I meant that I was also having a lot of fun. I, stopped my recording and took a lot of photos of the little enterprise Christmas ornament that she was using in part because I thought that they looked so much like the sort of hallmark ones that they made in the eighties and nineties, or I think it was the eighties and nineties of uh, to actually put on a Christmas tree. And I don't know. Sometimes I think style wins out over substance for me. And this was definitely one of the moments that that happened. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, I definitely agree that like this, it moves kind of weirdly at times. I I, I think they could have, so, if not, they had to cut back to the ship because we had to know it was really happening. But they could have, I guess, sold it a little better. Like it felt like the ship was on fire, and it was just like they've been hit worse by like a Klingon or Romulan ship. It wasn't there wasn't a sense of urgency on the ship cutting scenes or like even a B plot or something to really keep it engaged. But, I mean, so I agree that's kind of the weakest element is we're just getting these check-ins that sort of slow things down. But I just, I don't know, everything on that planet, just the the gorgeous sets and props that were everywhere. I think Antoinette Bauer and Theo Marcus are just giving these like wonderful little grand performances, even if those characters are a little thin. Um, yeah, there's just like, and it just keeps throwing stuff at you. I think that's really what I'm responding to, is it just, like, does not sort of let up in sort of these weird, fantastical ideas that are executed with the best money a TV budget in 1967 can buy, which is not much, but that almost adds to the charm a lot for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the characters are thin. I think they're anorexic. They're yeah. just 
so, so sketchily drawn. Actually, you know what the main problem with the cuts back to the Enterprises is that we're forced to see Chekhov in that wig. That's the worst wig I have ever seen in my life. And, you know, William Shatner's in this show. It's it's so bad. Uh, But, yeah, I mean... So much of the motivation on the on the planet surface for Sylvia and Cora feels like it's, you know, I don't know, from a flip chart of character traits. Mm. Even even like, like I, I appreciate the fact that like um, Korob is you know eventually motivated to betray Sylvia out of uh, I guess jealousy. It's not really clear, um, but I suppose it's jealousy. Um, it's just it's it's such a vault fast though. It's like he's in complete control. He is the the you know the, the one on the throne, and you know Sylvia is the power behind the throne. Um, and then he sees her snogging Captain Kirk a bit, and so he betrays his entire race. It's a bit, yeah, I don't know. It's not the most convincing characterization I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I am kind of unclear why he betrays Sylvia. I, well, because it's... otherwise the episode can't resolve. That's yeah. why he betrays Sylvia. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't know if it was the jealousy or if it was just sympathy for these people as humans. Because there is sort of the element of that they don't want to hurt them. They just want to study them. And maybe Sylvia is doing the more of, I want to just mess with them. <laughs> and Korob's like, wait, we were, we're not supposed to like actually screw around with them we're supposed to just be scientists or whatever in our weird magical way um but yeah it doesn't they don't really hammer it home or make it clear exactly what changed caused a change of sympathies beyond like you said the episode's running out of time uh but yeah it's just very hard to pin down what i found compelling about it i don't know i mean you it's, it, it's thin but i can also say it's elemental it's like <laughs> it god this is a much episode of television but it reminds me of some of those like seventh doctor or fourth doctor stories where it's just like what am i thinking i think of earthlight that's the one i'm really grasping for where it's just like a really weird like outside of understanding story but um just like really getting at sort of an emotional thing there and Star Trek isn't good because I think it doesn't go as weird as some of those great Doctor Who episodes that sort of get into eldritch horror territories. But this does have like weird witch ghosts and someone turning into a cat and a ridiculous effect and like things, I don't know, the ways things sort of happen almost at random really throw me off guard in a way I just found like very exciting. Oh, Kitty Cat is so adorable, though. It is it's very just, adorable. It, it's, it's, it's not not threatening in any I way, know. shape, or form, nor in any universe is a is a kitty cat running through a little cardboard corridor, um, even with slow down footage and a, and a badly amplified roar. Um, very convincing. And like Spock's line about, um, oh, the cat is the you know worst predator the the earth has ever produced and then we cut to this little kitty cat it's <laughs> oh bless i mean I, you, I see what you're going for but oh it's something so endearing about it though like maybe it's to oh, yes, I, I, I maybe i have to knock points off for it but i'm just also just so endeared that this was their idea of creating a giant monster to chase them is putting a little cat in a little cardboard tunnel and having it walk around it's so cute it's so funny it also, I feel like, I I enjoyed that part in, in in part because it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But I like that all the the 
I don't know, whatever these, these people are on the planet also thought the same thing that like, oh, we'll, we'll give them this really terrifying creature. And then Spock was like, oh yeah, I see what they're going for. Yeah. No, it is just this, yeah, like really cute cat. But that, that almost felt like the whole episode, like part of what's, there's the whole episode, which I mean, look, it doesn't make a lot of internal logical sense, but they keep being told that there's nobody, like there aren't any life forms on the planet. And it's it's not just when they land and, and they say, oh yeah, we're, we're, we heard that there wasn't anybody here. And, and they say, yeah, we're, we're just visiting. Um, it's also that they do a bunch of scans and there's nobody on the planet. And so the whole time we're being told that like none of this is real. And I think uh, Spock does that with the witches as well. He scans the witches in the beginning and or tells everyone that they don't really seem to be there. Um, I, I think that that's sort of an interesting premise for the whole thing because like somebody dies. It's not, it's not like things aren't happening. It seems like the ship is genuinely in distress when they hold the ornament over the candle, but it's also an episode where like the whole thing is we are told a bunch of times, like isn't happening and it's fiction. Um, and so all the little set pieces we get, including the cat, including the, the sort of like vague magic setup that she has with the candle and, and everything. I don't know. The whole, the whole thing seems sort of weird in that sense. Yeah. I think you, there's a good point. That is the one thing that dramatically does work for me is at the very end, um, I think it's McCoy who says, that, oh, so it was all just an illusion. The castle spirit, it's all fake. But then Kirk sort of brings us down to reality where it's like, and no, we still have a dead crewman on our hands. Right. That's what kicked us all off. And I, A, I just like that because it bucks against sort of the red shirt trope where it's like, yes, the red shirt did die, but they didn't just forget about him afterwards. I mean, these deaths still weigh on Kirk's mind, at least until the credits roll. But also, yeah, there's it, it's, it brings it all down to reality in a nice little way where it's not, so it's not just totally Scooby-Doo. <laughs> there is still a dead person on their hands and that motivates Kirk. That's like that necessary motivation for Kirk to like be very against this and like scared of it as opposed to just like kind of amused by it, mm-hmm. which I think is the very, diff- like a very crucial little bit of emotional grounding that maybe could have got brought up a little more, but yeah, I don't That worked for me at the end where it's like after a bunch of, weird hijinks you still have the reminder that this is a guy who takes the life and death of his crew very seriously yeah definitely and it's one of the the, the I, I mean i mean this in the nicest way but it's one of the rare times in this episode that william shatner puts in the effort and right. actually acts um that one he seems to like genuinely try and put a, a bit of emotional weight on it which i appreciate the effort but after you know basically 45 minutes of shenanigans yeah yeah it's it's a it's a hard ask um but there's also the moment um when he 
gets called out by Sylvia uh, and she says, oh, you know, there's no fire in your mind when you're, uh, you know, embracing me. Uh, you're just using me. You're exploiting me. And his, like, he's furious when he replies, yeah, well, why not? That's what you're doing to us. And it's a great little moment from William Shatner. Mm-hmm. Um, but for most of the part, it's a fairly shrug-worthy performance. But, but it's good to see that at least with those little moments, there are still, you know, times when, you know, we get a real sense of, of the... The, the passion of the the man behind you know the flipping comments and the you know the the very obviously um you know flirting with spock and, and you know that's yeah. that's good to see there's a lot of spock flirting in this episode i have to say oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean they just make talking about trick-or-treat somehow flirting and they just describing what it is it's very funny <laughs> yeah you're my trick and i'm getting my treat <laughs> uh but yeah i like I don't don't want to really land the blame on Shatner because as much as I'm like sort of take sticking out the hot take that I like this episode for the vibes, it really does not give them much dramatic material to play any of these actors. Yeah, and true. like at least Nimoy and Kelly have like these very solid characters they can always rest back on and just find gravitas in. I Shatner, I feel like if he's if you don't give him the really meaty stuff, which they generally do for most of the run, which is why he's generally very good. We're very pro Shatner on this podcast. Um, yeah, this is one where he just kind of whiffs it because he just doesn't have much to play with. I did enjoy the scene where they wake up in shackles and have to do this this fun little act of of waking up and not knowing where they were, which was not the best mm-hmm. acting, but it was it was some fun showy acting. Yeah, it's it was a good reaction faces from them. Yeah, I guess something I want to talk about is. DeSalle, the uh, the temporary captain in this episode, who is not one of our main characters. Um, that was weird. And I think given the sort of lack of performance with him, you can see why he's not around much otherwise. He's a bit of a Jeffrey Hunter character. He's kind of got that kind of sort of mm-hmm. 1950s, you know, he's he's quite built. He's got, you know, a bit of muscle going on. He's, he's sort of trying to throw his weight around a little bit, but yeah, there's, there's not an awful lot of, um, there's not an awful lot of substance there. Um, and you know, with our, our regular crew down in the planet, I, I understand the logic of having Scotty and Sulu be the two characters who have, uh, been sort of mind, uh, you know, mind wiped or brainwashed or whatever uh, on the planet because it gives Kirk some sort of right. personal stakes. Although I do want to point out that the cat gets more lines than yeah. um, George Takai in this episode, who has no lines whatsoever. Um, but that does leave things a bit kind of, um, you know, adrift up on the Enterprise. Chekhov is too new a character to really be left in charge like that. Um, they're not going to give it to the black women because it's 1967. So, um, you know, so yeah, so we have to have this kind of invented character. And it's, you know, he just screams functional. Yeah, he's apparently appeared twice before, but never memorably. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, it's like you said, like, Scott and Sulu have one line between them. It's just very strange that, like, I don't know, have one of the other go down there or have our DeSalle be one of the two people. And because that's the thing, you, the way Shatner sells the death of Commander Jackson, who in very stark cliche way we've never met before and we'll never see again because he's dead in the opening scene. 
but Shatner still sells the emotional attachment there. So I think you could have had it be two red shirts or one featured cast member in a red shirt, and it would still play. And you could have a familiar face at the helm, whether call it Takei or Doohan or whoever. Then I just think that would have been more effective than just this absolutely nothing guy who I'm being too mean to the actor. He's fine, but it's just there's a reason our regular cast is a regular cast. And it's because they're the better actors among the pool. Like there's plenty of other like recurring characters in Trek that aren't the main seven, so to speak. It's just those seven were the seven. I mean, Shatner Nimoy and then Kelly were sort of like handpicked to be our leads. But then the other four just, they stick around because they're sort of the cream that rises to the top. They, are really good at their jobs and their performances. And that's how they stood out against uh, Michael Barrier, who I'm, I feel bad for insulting so much, but there's a reason, like I said, he's not in the movies. I also even think the first scene where the three of them are, or, or who is it? Kirk, Spock and Uhura are waiting to hear back from everyone mm-hmm. on the planet sells the whole episode so well. Like it's a, it's actually a great opening scene. You don't need, you get all the background for what's happened so far, so fast that when you go back to the ship and they're not the ones telling you what's going on, uh, you really see the difference. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great in media res opening. Mm-hmm. Um, just the the crewmen come back up and dying, and then you have to investigate. I think it really gets to the action quickly, and yeah, it's. It's very effective. And like you said, it's just that contrast between uh, Kirk and the command and DeSalle is just like so apparent. Um, how successful do we think the uh, voice coming out of, <laughs> of the dead body is? Not very. Because <laughs> I mean, I had to... <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> I had to rewind that part to try and figure out if it was supposed to be coming from him or just sort of. Kirk was hearing it in his own mind. Right. And maybe, I don't know, people, it might have been more effective at the time. Like, I feel like there are ways that you learn to watch television from television. And I don't know if that was something that um, I haven't watched recently, all the episodes right before this. I don't know if this was something that maybe people would have picked up on a little bit more. I couldn't tell. Like, I, it felt like we should have seen his mouth move a little bit or something i don't know i'm not sure why i'm trying to problem solve it for them it's done yeah i i don't know as effective drama or horror not at all but Mm -hmm. as just like a tone setter for oh i'm going to get like a really cheesy haunted house episode i think it does it i don't know it it really set the tone for me in a way it wasn't derisive of but it's it also meant I wasn't going to take this episode seriously, mm-hmm. which I guess, I guess that's what it really comes down to in my opinion this episode, where it's like, if I'm not taking this seriously, I'm having just a great time sort of basking in the sort of what they're trying to do and like the, his, not even historical nature of it, but just like, I don't like, it's not effective what it's trying to do, but it is effective at just evoking just this, like, interest and amusement from me that I can't really pin down. But it is just that same sort of feeling of watching, like, a cheesy movie and just, like, well, they're trying something. And that is, like, better than 
coasting and trying nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, definitely one of the positive things you can say about this episode is that yeah. it, it's a swing. And and that is something to be appreciated. You know, the last few episodes we've had, uh, you know, a rogue um, ice cream cone in space. Uh, we've had an evil polystyrene mm-hmm. cave. And, you know, just like a whole bunch of stuff. And, you know, one of the great joys about Star Trek is that it has this variety that it can it can draw on and you know for all that i'm i don't think that this is a good episode of television um you know i do appreciate the fact that it is pushing against the boundaries of what you can do with the format and relatively successfully well i mean i say relatively successfully obviously we still have to discuss the um the puppets at (laughs) the end of the episode um which are you know, quite quite the achievement for a six year old to have produced, <laughs> but it's not um, it's not bad in the sense that it's 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 poorly produced. Actually, it's very very well produced. Like the three witches are really well realized. That's a good special effect. Like the makeup is fantastic. Like it's they're not half assing this, um, particularly in terms of the the production details. And you know, um, as as is so often the case at this point in the series, you know, uh, Dorothy Fontana has done a, a decent attempt to try and have a pass over the script so that at least it makes some kind of logic uh, logical sense um and so yeah that there is a sense that the show is trying to stretch itself in in directions that we haven't really seen before and and at least for that if nothing else this was a worthwhile experiment oh yeah i just it very tickles me that this was deliberately produced as a halloween episode aired on like it's one of the first season two episodes produced which is why Chekhov's wig is so bad but it is delayed for Halloween because that was the intent and it's just yeah I I love the idea of like a sci-fi series doing like a spooky Halloween episode that it's very charming to me yeah and yeah I I think like there are just some things that just really work about it on a fundamental level of just like you really tried something here and I'm at least like getting a reaction out of me. Um, like I said, the witches are fantastic. I think their rhymes, well, the, the rhyming they do is no Shakespeare, <laughs> but um, it's, it's I like the attempt to do a sort Macbeth thing is very cool. It, it really, that's again, in a very much a tone setting thing that even if that's kind of the coolest moment of the episode, it still really got me into a fun headspace for this one. It also, I mean, they did a great job very quickly once they got onto the planet because you don't you don't quite get it before that of telling you exactly what the episode is trying to do. Um, and I like that. Like, I like that they mm-hmm. I mean, they say the curse before that. But but once they get onto the planet, like you get three witches, then you get a black cat. Like the audience is is being led to their vision very quickly. I don't know. I think that's nice. I think it's good to show yeah. people exactly what you're trying to show. Yeah, it's I know it's on the nose, but I think it really sort of, like I said, just lets you in on what they're doing. Um, and I don't know. I I like how as has come up a couple times uh, in the last few episodes we've discussed how unexplained the aliens are. Like. Uh, you talked to us earlier, Sarah, but just like they just say, "Oh, we have a transmuter," and they, but they also have like a duty to like the old ones, which is very Lovecraftian mm-hmm. in like a very explicit way. Um, I mean, Lovecraft definitely a writer who I um, doesn't sound like a great guy to read or learn about his personal life at all. But 
always, I think, works well when other people are sort of riffing on his ideas. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that here where it's just, oh, we have a duty to like old elder gods that we're not going to bother explaining. But that just sort of adds to sort of, I don't know, an intrigue to it all. And there's something rather pleasing about, you know, for all Corb's, you know, deeply uh, suspicious vault fast. Like the way he says, like, mm -hmm. none of this was necessary. Mm -hmm. We could have just come here in peace. Um, again, it sort of hints at um, sort of something about their society or something about the way that they approach, you know, their own sort of uh, form of exploration. Because in a way, these these creatures are kind of, you know, doing the same thing as the Enterprise. They're going out into the galaxy and, and they're exploring it, but obviously in a very kind of different way, different kind of creatures, different kind of technologies, different kind of approaches. So um, I, I kind of wish the episode had leaned much more into that, like drawing the parallels out between them might have been a more fruitful way again i shouldn't be problem solving no. for them um either just like sarah, just like sarah was saying but like like that might be a much more intro like the way like the way that kirk could get try and get round sylvia rather than it's you know just his the sheer you know magnetic power of his ability <laughs> to snog women it might have been like oh well, like well you know like maybe we have these other things in common and we could work together to so, you know just like something else rather than you know some some slightly unconvincing kissing and and then her you know sort of having a bit of a hissy fit um and it's sort of a shame that they don't lean into that but little moments like oh yeah like we didn't need to do this we could have had another way it, it, it just helps to give it like even just a suggestion or a hint that there's like a broader sense to these two individuals rather than them just being here for the sake of this, this yeah it is a great idea that they're sort of the also explorers that yeah is just not really expounded upon beyond being sort of the basis for um theos's betrayal korov's betrayal rather um it's just yeah i you're right you just wish more was done with it it's a bit of a shame um I do like in the end, I mean, yes, the their final forms look like one of the producers had their kids had a successful arts and crafts class. <laughs> that is the like appearance. <laughs> but I just I like that they're like not humans at all, but just like the forms you feel comfortable with and what the actual form is just like the scale of it, the being little guys is so fun to me. Like mm -hmm. that's just a funny little twist on it is um they're so different in like scale and appearance are very alien compared to our humans and Vulcans. I, I mean, they looked goofy, but they did not actually look much goofier than like the weirdest bug you could find. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I thought they were fun. I agree. I thought like the, there, Star Trek has a, a grand history of when you finally see the aliens real form it's insane and uh this this was a perfect example of that like i like all those moments why yeah why shouldn't they yeah. like that yeah exactly if they're definitely these creatures who are like very far beyond our understanding um it they would not actually look humanoid they would look like little bug guys <laughs> and yes it for six technology and all you have to make them human so the, the actors have something to play off of without breaking the budget mm -hmm. but yeah, I do like that we get that final form reveal at the end, and it, they are just like really insane looking. It's it's very delightful and fun, and it is just pleasing to see Star Trek doing something which isn't just mm. like another bumpy headed alien. You know that, and and I know that cliche kind of comes from 
the Postos series. Um, but it's something that, that you know, even I'll admit my beloved Voyager is extremely guilty of. Uh, and it is just nice to see, like, yeah, well, like, not every creature in the uh, in the galaxy looks like us or behaves like us or, or is kind of what we expected. And, yeah, the special effect is, well... <laughs> risible let's be honest it's 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 absolute rubbish but but the intent behind it is fine and so i think i think the episode gets away with it it's that thing that i often say about special effects which is as long as the special effect is able to convey what the script needs to get across to you then it's successful successful and good are not synonyms of each other so just because it's successful doesn't mean it looks good right. it very clearly doesn't but it works conceptually and you know that's enough that's okay that's that's absolutely then forgivable i think that's the difference between the little aliens and the uh voice coming out of the guy's mouth at the beginning is that one really works and one really doesn't um and yeah it's some right it's important i guess when you're watching something even if it doesn't totally hang together or or have a plot or anything that it's a sort of legible experience for the viewer and I think usually Star Trek is pretty good at that. Um, and this episode, I think it's pretty good at it for most of the episode. I think, yeah, it's it's just interesting to me to think about how it well it's conveying what it's trying to convey. And mm-hmm. I think maybe part of the issue I'm having with discussing this episode and we're sort of running up against, is it good, is it bad, is I think at the end of the day they don't really have a thematic core to this episode. It really is just like, here's a lot of amusing and spooky ideas I came up with that don't all kind of, there's mm-hmm. nothing that sort of hangs them together between like the sort of sympathetic magic that's very like voodoo-esque, at least from the pop culture understanding of voodoo, to like, but I can also like make things appear to you that are illusions. And then there's Black Cats motifs, there's like Shakespearean motifs and... There's just a lot going on and none of it sort of hangs, none of it really collates beyond here's another spooky image, here's another spooky image, here's another spooky image. And I think that's why it kind of feels sluggish to your original point, JG, is it just doesn't build anything. It's just, they're basically just running around for 40 minutes and then they're done. And it, yeah, it's just not a great story story. So there's just so many pleasing elements that I think we're all really responding to. But I think without a sort of core there, a there there, it's just it's just a little bit haphazard, which is a little unfortunate because I do think a lot of the ideas in here are very fun. Yeah, I watched it yesterday and um I was I went I went back this morning because I was worried that I'd mm-hmm. missed some stuff. And uh turns out i had not um but also at the at the beginning where there when there are the three witches i had a moment where i thought oh is this a macbeth episode and should i try and like go back and sort of trace what they're doing between macbeth and the episode and uh it very quickly became clear that no um they just had a spooky image and decided that they were going to go with it uh so that's a pity. That would have been fun. Yeah, it. I mean, that kind of is like their other sort of Shakespearean episode, um, 
trying to remember the name yeah. of it, but it's one with the actor was secretly the uh, the fascist leader. <laughs> where it's like there was yeah. Look, I'm sorry, say that again, JJ. Uh, Conscience of the King. Yes, thank you. Where it's like yeah. you were so close to drawing out this great story and great motif, but then you the writer just did not follow through and like totally making it cohere. And so it just kind of sits there with a lot of interesting mm-hmm. things to ponder about, but nothing to really like get your fire going. Um, right. I do want to bring up that this was written by Robert Block, who I did not writer of Psycho, which is fantastic. Um, I can't believe oh, that did weird. not come up when we covered what our little girls made of his previous episode. But um, yeah, it's I. They probably tapped him specifically to write some horror stuff. I'm just seeing on Memory Alpha that he's written a lot of other novels and stories that are like, he's very indebted to Lovecraft and his um, non-Trek writing and non-Hitchcock writing, I assume, too. Um, So it just sounds like this is sort of his bag. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, he just didn't have... There are so many things that could have made a very coherent idea at the center of the episode but nothing really comes forward strong enough to take the center so we just have a bunch of plot points that are all DeSalles and no Shatners <laughs> yeah that is it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a sharp fall in the episode but you know like Robert Block you know it's it's interesting sort of reading some of the background stuff about this episode because one of the things she seemed to struggle with was getting the episode to actually have a point um, and I don't mean mm-hmm. that sort of, I mean, I do mean that pejoratively, but you know what I mean? It's just like, right. like, it, like you said, Kev, it, it, it's just a, it's just basically a series of things that happen. There's nothing that actually ties it all together. And it seems like there were some very um, basic things that, again, that Dorothy Fontana had to sort of step in and say, well, all right, how do we motivate Kirk? Or why is he doing this? Or why is any of this really happening? Um, and it's, it's a... Uh, a tribute to how kind of directionless the original story was that, that even, you know, Dorothy Fontana seems to have rather struggled with that. And that's that's normally what she's really amazing at, not taking somebody's script, like pulling it in and giving it that focus. But this episode doesn't really have any focus. And that's that's part of um, that's part of the reason I find it a bit of a frustrating watch because there's just I don't want to say there's no point to it. That sounds that sounds even harsher than I particularly want to be at this stage. But yeah, it, it's interesting that somebody like Robert Bloch, who can produce, you know, like you know, an Oscar-winning movie, struggled with kind of pretty much the basic format of of episodic television. I love Psycho, so I don't want to say anything mm-hmm. bad about Psycho. But there are long stretches of Psycho where nothing else happens really easy like there's, there's psycho has right. a lot of vibes is I guess. I, um and sorry if i'm sort of stepping on your point here but i think that is just illustrates the difference between master film director albert hitchcock and american um mm-hmm. journeyman tv director joseph pevney that's <laughs> i yeah. i feel like maybe hitchcock could take the sort of raw material here and make like a very tense and thrilling story um but this is not written in Hitchcock films, it's written as an episode of Star Trek. And I think that is just sort of the limitations of how much um, straw you can spin into gold. Yeah. I, and I mean, there's a little bit less plot here, but I also, I mean, there's a lot less plot here, but I also just think, yeah, there's, there's a Hitchcock 
Yes. I mean, was a genius. So I guess a lot of it. But also there's um, his his films always have the idea of what's going to happen in the end very clearly. Um, and I mean, they, and, and also in the beginning and middle. And I think this episode probably could have been fixed a little bit more by almost three anchoring scenes where something really right. happens. And I even think the witches in the beginning, and the, I mean, the beginning starts pretty strong. Um, the first four minutes of it. Um, I almost think having something like that in the middle and the end uh, probably could have fixed a lot of mm. the problems because even if there isn't really a plot, you get the feeling that there yeah. could be a plot. I I think that's it, which is like, yeah, the witches is a very strong and the dead crewmen, um, voice effect aside, very strong mm-hmm. images to anchor the front of the episode. And I do think the end is maybe not the strongest, not definitely not as strong as like Norman Bates smiling at the camera, but still a strong anchored <laughs> ending where you have everything disappearing and these people being revealed to be these little blue and yellow bugs. Like that is definitely an image uh-huh. and nothing in the middle yeah. can compare to those two anchor points on either side. So like as much as it's fun ideas, the cat chasing them through cardboard, um, the Enterprise being frozen in a block of ice and a little ornament, like there's cool little things but there's no really big thing that like causes the turn on its head the way a great episode would like i mean you obviously this is going to wilt in comparison to something like a muck time or doomsday machine or balance of terror and i think those are all episodes that hinge and change and flip throughout their runtime whereas this just kind of coasts from one great opening image to one pretty good ending image and then has a lot of little things in between yeah. although you have given us the lovely image yeah. of uh, alfred hitchcock's star trek which is definitely something to i know there. i mean that would be the quentin tarantino star trek of its time <laughs> it still wouldn't have happened but... yeah we can dream yeah i wonder he did a I mean, I know he didn't direct any Star Trek, um, but I wonder if there's anything where he got close to directing television like that. Yeah. Well, there's Alfred Hitchcock's Presents, which is, you know, um, right. you know, a TV anthology right. series. So, yeah, I mean, he definitely did. But um, but I don't think anything quite as specific as, as the sort of requirements that Star Trek has. Yeah, I think yeah. Test Track Presents, as far as I know, is the only television he ever has directed. And I Google Hitchcock Star Trek and all I get is Robert Block. So, and um, Joanne Linville, who I guess must be an actor who's been in a Hitchcock and a Star Trek. Um, so, yes, it's, it would be fun to imagine Hitchcock watching Star Trek, but I guess that's never been recorded if he had opinions on it. Oh, uh, well, as we seem to be winding down, uh, just one last fun fact I want to share, which is uh, apparently it's done on Wikipedia and Memory Alpha for some reason that the cloak um theo marcus wears did i get that last name right mm-hmm. uh yes marcus um it was also worn by gilligan on gilligan's island i don't know why it's a notable fact on wikipedia and memory alpha but the fact that it's there is very funny oh that's great i don't know what gilligan was doing like a very culty wizard cloak but that's, i haven't seen gilligan's island in a long time so i wouldn't be able to say i haven't seen gilligan's island at all it's not something that's ever made it across the atlantic so it's one of those things that i literally only know about through 
other American TV shows referencing it. If I have seen it, it's just that I've caught it on TV when I was very young. So yeah, I, I, I can't even say for sure if I've seen it at all, honestly. Fair enough. I know the song well enough that I Yes, everyone it. knows the song. <laughs> Yeah, I know the song very well too, which is very, which is a very funny thing to say about a show that I've never really paid attention yeah. to. Um, it's a great song. Do you know who wore it first? Uh, Gilgan, okay. which is also very yeah. funny that it was created for an episode of Gilgan's Island, sewn together, and then fobbed off to Star Trek for their haunted house episode. That's perfect. <laughs> okay, then be- yes. be- before the podcast breaks into song. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, JD's I, worst nightmare. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think we should probably uh, move towards uh, wrapping this up. Um, oh God, the very thought. Um, right. Well, let's let's move to some uh, some scoring. Uh, Kev, what would you like to score this one? I'm going to give it a very sympathetic seven. Um, I think, which is actually less than I gave the Apple, but I think it's similar vibes. Um, it's. <sighs> There's just so much that delights me about it that I'm willing to like paper over a lot of very apparent flaws because it's just like, I don't know, man, it's still better than a lot of other television just to how much I enjoyed watching it. Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, I'm going to be less generous and I think I'm going to give this yeah. a four. Um, Ooh, okay. Yeah, I, I know. I know. And I'm sure it is just because I'm a grumpy tired old man this weekend and and uh i don't know i just i i wasn't vibing with it there's a few moments in it that uh that seem fine but i just i don't know i just could not get on board with it this time so yeah yeah i know it's a low one but i'm gonna i'm gonna get i'm gonna swipe it with a four uh, sarah what would mm-hmm. you like to give it i think i'm gonna give it an enthusiastic six mm-hmm. i don't i don't necessarily think it's good but i enjoyed it and so it's 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 the recommendation of me telling somebody that they should watch something, it's not a great. Okay. That seems fair yeah. enough. All right. Um, recommendations. Uh, I can't remember if there's more intro you usually do for this, JG, but yes. Well, let's let's, um, let's just go for our recommendations. Kev, what would you like yeah. to recommend for us this week? <laughs> I think I actually am going to do a Star Trek-related recommendation for once, which is just yesterday that after recording this, I played... Um, a wonderful board game called Star Trek Ascendancy, which took the whole day. We started around three or four p.m. and ended at around ten. But if you're if you can map out the day for it, it is a great little strategy game where you get to play as one of the like sort of powers in Star Trek universe. You can play as the Federation, the Klingons, the Romulans. I believe my friend Andrew is describing that's the base game. But then we also added in Cardassians and Ferengi in there, and of course there's Vulcans and um, I can't remember what the other uh, powers that be you could play as, it, but you're basically starting in your home planet, gathering resources, exploring out there. Eventually you wind up connecting with the other people and yeah. And then either conflict or trade ensues until you either win by conquering the other people or through um, cultural enlightenment, which is, very fun there's just a lot of elements in play but if you're a board game type person and you want a star trek fix and you're willing to again set aside a day for it that is a very fun uh game to play with a few people i have my own recommendation but i also uh want to add on to kev's recommendation because a few years ago i played and i am trying to find the name of it right now the 80s star trek board game Mm. um and it is a delight 
um, there's a VHS tape that goes along with it that tells you uh, how much time you have and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, I think the premise is that a Klingon has taken control of the Enterprise and you have to continue to get around the Enterprise and try and win before uh, the ship is taken over or or something. Uh, and so as you're playing this, this VHS tape is playing in the background. I actually purchased a VHS player specifically uh, to play this board game. And I don't know if I can in good conscience recommend other people do the same, but it was a really fun uh, version of it. Um, it's from 1992. I'm gonna, I'll find it later. Um, my own recommendation is a, a new television show. I think it's technically a mini series, uh, but I suspect that it might be renewed if it does well enough. Uh, so I'm recommending this in part for selfish reasons. Um, called "A Murder at the End of the World," uh, mm. and uh, it stars Emma Corrin. And uh, mm -hmm. it's on FX and streaming on Hulu here. It's about a amateur Gen Z detective uh, who solves sort of uh, unidentified like Jane Doe murders um, and write, wrote a book about one of them. Um, and she is invited to a billionaire's retreat in Iceland that also includes her ex crime solving partner and boyfriend um, and a cast of rich and influential people um, in this weird hotel in Iceland where they take everybody's phone on the first day and nothing is connected to the internet and everyone's a little bit hard to get to know. Um, and the cast is really fun. Uh, the premise is just a fun murder mystery premise uh with sort of you can't google anything you can't go anywhere uh there's an ai system that's giving her a lot of the information that she needs and uh somebody who was reviewing it um sort of not complained but said they were a little disappointed because it was less groundbreaking in terms of form than they were expecting um, I am very excited about that because I like a traditional murder mystery and I like a a new setting and set of characters for something like that that's a little bit more updated, but without the threat of uh, somebody deciding to try and reinvent the genre and sort of not have any crime solving happen or, or have the murderer not be one of the 10 people or whatever. And uh, this is definitely one of them where I trust that they're going to know how to wrap it up yes i i'm a big fan of those like marling um i have to look up the name so to pronounce it wrong but uh, like their work on the oa yeah. and um is just so good so i'm so happy to see they're continuing um zal bat mangli yes i believe Leech, i believe is trying to pronounce it uh yes it's it's i'm i've seen the first two episodes of that show it's very intriguing so far excellent 
Lovely. Thank you very much. Um, I am going to recommend, because uh, it's just finished at the time that we're recording this, it'll be finished for a month or two by the time this posts. Um, I'm going to recommend the uh, latest series of Taskmaster, uh, season 16, yes. uh, which is starring uh, Julian Clary, Lucy Beaumont, Sam Campbell, uh, Sue Perkins, and Susan Wakoma. It's a delight. It is glorious. I mean, Taskmaster's always... Uh, really good fun, of course it is. Um, I'm going to be honest, the last couple of seasons I felt have struggled a little bit, but this one really feels like it's back up to speed. I think at least in part because there's a sense where uh, the teams find like a nice little vibe, the way that they work with each other. So there's a, a you know, like Sam Campbell's uh, sort of terribly brings out everybody's sort of maternal and paternal sides and sue perkins is just just a whole bundle of crazy energy as you would expect and you know and so on julian clary's very camp and very very sort of dismissive but in uh, sort of very funny ways and it's just uh oh and i love susan mccormer she's 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 just great she's just such a such a presence throughout the whole show uh lucy beaumont's claim kind of deadpan just like what kind of approach to everything a complete blank lack of understanding is delightful um it's a lovely it's a lovely uh season the tasks feel like they are properly interesting and properly challenging again i'm not going to spoil who wins but it feels appropriate to me that the person that i wanted to win in fact does and it's just it's just lovely to uh to have the show which yeah i mean like it's its 16th season it's reasonable that it's not going to be knocking it out of the park every single time but it's just lovely to see the show back on a forearm back on its top game and it's just a thoroughly entertaining thoroughly enjoyable time i am also i'm not quite finished i've saved the last two episodes but i'm also watching taskmaster right now and it's a really good season i think I think having Sue Perkins on, she was always going to be good and funny, but I do think that um, having her on sort of to not re-energize the show, but as such a reliably funny person for this type of show was a good move, sort of bringing her in now. I didn't know who Susan McComet was before. I like her so much. She's great, isn't she? Just, oh, the best. Yeah, I completely agree. And I agree about um, uh, Sue Perkins. She's just got exactly the right energy for this show. Like, she's a really, really smart woman, mm-hmm. but also just just so chaotic. And and seeing those two things collide is, is, is just an absolute delight. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Lovely. Right. Well, I think that will do it for recommendations, and we can move on to plugs. Um, so do you have anything that you would like to plug? Not really right now. Um, I'm no longer on Twitter, but I am on Blue Sky at Harriet.Vane, V-A-N-E. Lovely. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us. Uh, it has been an absolute delight to have you back on, Sarah. It's yeah. been lovely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Great to do this again. Absolutely. Loved having you back. Um, as for us, you can find us wherever you get podcasts or podcatcher you choose. And please like, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast and whatever podcast you're using to help other people find us. Uh, you can also find more of JG's writings at www.jgmcquarry.scott. And his other podcast is Beatles Stuffology, where he and his co-host Andrew Deacon go through the Beatles track by track. You can find me um, not so much on Twitter, but definitely more on Blue Sky at Max Rebo's Roadie. And... And my other podcast that I co-host is Total Massacre with hosting creator Rowan Kaiser and our co-host Carly Veloci. And 
Uh, yeah, we are covering sci-fi movies right now. I believe when this post will be in the middle of a Philip K. Dick-themed month. So check us out. Fantastic. Lovely. Thank you very much. And yes, uh, once again, Sarah, it's been a delight uh, having you on. And we look forward to you maybe returning again at some point in the future. That would be great. Yeah. Brilliant. Right. We can leave things there for our Halloween episode. Uh, next time out, we're going to have... Well, I was going to say a comedy episode, but it's I'm Mud, so you can draw your own conclusions as to how that's going to go. <laughs> um, as always, we hope you're going to join us for it. But until then, keep talking. <laughs>